For the past few weeks, we've been talking about some reality from TV. Um, The Bible tells us some great Bible stories. And we've just been looking at TV titles, some shows, some older shows, uh, and using those titles as jumping off places um, to talk about what the Bible has to say. We talked about the Adams family. And when, in so doing, we talked about Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. We, we've talked about the three stooges, uh, Job's three friends who weren't very good comforters. We talked about the fugitive, and that was, of course, the story of Jonah. Last week, we talked about Father Knows Best, which was the story of God and how he is our Heavenly Father. Tonight, it's the odd couple. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't watch this show, so don't say, um, uh, in fact, I wasn't allowed to watch this show, Um, and so I don't know if there's bad stuff or or not, but anyway, um, as a, you know, when when I, I think I even sent out a little message this week and said, who who might the odd couple be? Who, Who would you think? And I got a lot of good feedback. I mean, there's Ananias and Sapphira, there's uh, God and me and, and you, uh, that's rather an odd uh, uh, connection there. And there are a lot of, lot of ideas, Judah and Tamar and so forth. But tonight, the lesson is taken from the book of Hosea. So if you have your Bible, open it to the book of Hosea. And by now, I guess you know who we're talking about. We're going to talk about Hosea and his wife with a very lovely name, Gomer. Um, Hosea and Gomer. Interesting couple. An odd couple. And if you don't know the story, well, you'll see why they are odd if you open to the book of Hosea. What I would like for us to do is just give a little bit of background and then just make about four points that practical lessons that we can learn from this odd couple. Hosea was a prophet of God. He wrote a book in the Bible. But early on, before he became a prophet, when God first came to him, he comes to Hosea and says, I've got a job for you. And, of course, I'm taking a little bit of liberty because the text is just very matter-of-fact. But can you imagine when God says to Hosea, I have found a woman for you, a wife. Great. I've been wanting to get married. You know, this takes all the work off. You know, you have a wife for me. Okay. Yes, she's a wife of harlotry. And I want you to marry her. And I want you to have children of harlotry. I don't want us to get so divorced from that time period and from the reality of what is being said to this real life man that you miss the turmoil and you miss the the wrestling that must have taken place in Hosea's mind. Who wants to marry A harlot. Who wants to raise children of harlotry? I can imagine Hosea thinking at least to himself, what are you asking me to do? Are you kidding me? 
Why would I want to do that? And how hard it... Lesser men would have said, nothing doing. I won't do it. I won't subject myself to that. I, I, I've got, this is my life you're talking about here. This isn't a game. I, I don't want to waste my life in this way. I, I want to find a woman that loves me and that I love her. I, I don't want to go marry a, a, a harlot. Lesser men could have said that. But Hosea said, this is what you've asked me to do. All right, I'll do it. And the text just says he took a wife of harlotry. And again, the process of that, I don't know how that works either. Does he go into town and knock on her door? And she meets him at the door and he woos her? Does he offer her money? Does, you know, how does this go down? Or is she on an auction block in town and say, you know, to the highest bidder goes this woman right here? You know, I don't know how it happened, but it had to have been very awkward. He's a prophet. He's a prophet of God, and he's walking downtown to go find his harlot to take home with him. Now, that's an odd couple. A preacher married to a harlot. Well, as time passes... In Hosea chapter 1 and verse 4, you see that Hosea and Gomer, Gomer have an oldest child, a son, by the name of Jezreel, which means God will scatter. God says, you're going to have children, um, but I, I want the privilege of naming them. And this first child's name was Jezreel. God will scatter. Not, not the most uh, loving name. This child was, it says, the text says, that he and and Gomer had this child. The next two that come, there's no reference to Hosea as being the father. I do know from chapter 2 that the children that they had were children of harlotry. Um, You know, there are some attempts to lessen what I believe the impact of the story. I I think it is what, what it sounds like. I think she was unfaithful, and she had children of harlotry. Yes, Hosea took her away from that lifestyle and married her, and they had a first child together, but she doesn't seem to be content. She goes back to her old ways, and she has another child, and God names it, and the meaning of that name is no mercy. She has a third child. In the name of that child, God, which means not my people. All of those names have a point, a significance. God is not just using Hosea to be a prophet who speaks the word of God. He's using Hosea as a prophet who who paints a picture with his life. Who who uses his life as an object lesson to, to teach a lesson. And it's a lesson to Israel who were unfaithful, who were idolatrous, who who left God and, and went out after false gods. And God is trying to express to them, this is what you're doing to me. Do you see it in Hosea? Do you see how disgusting and how appalling it is? Do you see how difficult it is for Hosea? This is what you're doing 
when you go after these false gods, God will scatter you. He'll show you no mercy. And you will not be his people. The three names of the children that are born bear out the fates of Israel because of their harlotry, spiritually speaking. Well, as time passes, Gomer leaves. Again, I don't know. Maybe she's just tired of, uh, you know, Hosea's preaching at her. Maybe, maybe she's never really loved him. Maybe she was just taken away, purchased by Hosea, and, and she likes the attention of men. So she goes back to this lifestyle. God comes again to Hosea and says, Hosea, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back into town and I want you to go get her, bring her back home. Hosea chapter 3, and again, can you imagine? And again, I don't know how, it just says he brought her back, but again, how did he bring her back? Did he, did he find out where she was, who now she was living with, and, and go up to the door and knock on the door, and a man comes to the door and he say, uh, excuse me, you, you have my wife, and I want her back. How did that come down? Or was she again, maybe on an auction block? Here, she's the possession of somebody now, and he has to pay a price. I do know that however it came down, the guy said, you want her back? You can have her back. Just give me some money. Give me some stuff, and I'll give her back to you. No big deal. And Hosea takes her and takes her back home. And again, the point is... That even after Israel has sinned, God still wants her back. Even after she has left and turned her back on him and gone off into idolatry, God still pursues us and wants us back. And so that's the story basically of Hosea. And the rest of the book talks about the judgments that will come. Uh, because of, of their wickedness. But now I'd like for us to look at some practical points from this odd couple. And don't you know they were viewed as an odd couple? Hosea going out preaching while he's gone. wonder what took place at his house. I wonder if after he left the home to go preach somewhere, she left the home to go down to the seedy side of town. It's an odd couple. But here's some lessons that we learn from this very difficult lesson from the book of Hosea. And this is the first point. Disobedience is sometimes very difficult. I know people sometimes talk about how hard it is to be a Christian and how hard it is to do this and that. You don't know the half of it. I think of Hosea is a hero. Hosea acts heroically. I mean, what man would go and marry, knowingly marry a prostitute, a woman who has been with multiple other men, and continues that as a way of lifestyle, and even after they're married, continues to seek out other men, and then leaves him, and he's so persistent that he buys her back. That's hard to imagine. 
I can see, like I said, lesser men say, God, you've got to be kidding me. No, I'm not going that far. I've poured out my heart to her, and she has just stepped on it. I'm done. Whatever happens to her, happens to her. But Hosea obeyed God. And sometimes the commandments of God are very difficult to obey. But do you remember what John chapter 14 and verse 15 says? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. God had a specific purpose in mind in Hosea. He needed to teach a lesson. He wanted a message communicated. And he thought that better than just preaching a sermon is this life, is this object lesson, is this living example of what they're doing. And he needed somebody to step up and do this hard task. And Hosea was the man. When I get to feeling like God is just asking a little bit too much, it's just a little bit too hard, I've been called on to do something just a little bit that puts me out of my comfort zone. I could demand my rights. I need to be taken back to Hosea. Because I don't know very many men who have been called to do more difficult tasks than was this prophet of God. So, number one, obedience isn't always easy. But it is the right thing. Second point I'd like for you to see from this lesson is that we need to understand the pain that we cause God when we sin. Uh, somebody asked last week at, at the lectureship, I, I, I can't remember who it was that was speaking, but they asked the question, when's the last time you shed a tear because of your sins? I mean, it, it's real easy for us to, to sin, and then we, we, well, we have this magic formula. We go home and we say a prayer and ask God to forgive us, and he forgives us, and all's well. Well... Yes, but do your sins break you? Are you broken by your sins? God, it's not the formula by which you get forgiveness of sins. It is a broken and contrite spirit, a broken heart and contrite spirit. You you can't play games with God. You can't fake Him out. You can't say the right words while feeling something else. We have to be broken by our sins because look at what it does. Those, those seemingly inconsequential actions that we take that are outside of the light of Christ, they dig deep wounds in the heart of God. It's not just a matter of a choice between me and either choose A or B. It, it also impacts God. Um, do you think of your sins as what it might feel like to have a spouse who is unfaithful. That's the way God portrays it. Hosea and everybody that's watching this poor preacher that has this wife that is just out of control. And they go home and they talk about it around the supper table. Can you believe that poor preacher? I mean, his wife is out. When he goes out, his wife goes right behind him and goes out and does this. Can you believe that? The, the pity that must have poured out toward Hosea by those who knew him. What do you think God feels when we sin against him? He's trying to communicate to us through this object lesson that you break my heart 
when you sin. In fact, look at Hosea chapter 6, and I want you to read what he says in verse 4. Ephraim is another name for Israel, the northern tribe. So when he says, O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? Your faithfulness is like a morning cloud and the early dew, and it goes away. Have you ever felt or have you ever heard anybody just so frustrated, they just say, what am I going to do with you? That's what God is saying here. I don't know where to, what am I to do with you? Your faithfulness is about like the the dew in the morning that just, in just a little bit, it it disappears, it's gone. What am I going to do with you? You can almost hear the exasperation in God's voice. We break God's heart when we sin. It's not just an act between you and somebody else or just yourself. You impact a God who has much invested in you. And every act of disobedience is an act against him personally. Even David acknowledged that when he said, against you and you only have I sinned with respect to his sin with Bathsheba. And here's a third lesson. We need to appreciate the grace and mercy of God more than maybe we do. Look at Hosea chapter 11 and verse 8. I want you to see something. He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? And he goes on and says, my heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. He, he has great mercy. He has every right to turn his back, to walk away, to punish, to rain down fire and brimstone on them for their disobedience for their failure to keep their covenant. And he says, what am, how can I do this? I, I love you. I, I can't just exercise this kind of wrath that just wipes you off the face of the earth because I love you. And that message through Hosea is the message that God has for his people. God loves us. And were it not for that love, do you think he'd have anything to do with you? I mean, how many times have you sinned against God? How many times would it take for a a God who is ambivalent towards you? How many times would it take for you to go back to him in prayer and say, whoop, I, I did it again, I'm sorry. He'd be through with you. You would have been written off a long time ago. That's why we need to appreciate passages, well, such as here in Hosea, John 1 and verse 16. It talks about the grace of God. Grace upon grace. His grace is accumulated. It's like stacking grace on top of each other. In Romans 5 and verse 20, it talks about where sin abounds, grace does all the more abound. We need to be thankful for the grace of God. The grace of Hosea to have been sinned against in having children, to have been sinned against by being deserted, and to still go back and, and pay 
for what rightfully is his in the first place, to take her back. Wow. But that's, that's God. That's what he's done for us. And then finally, I want us to see this point. We need to realize that the world is only using us. I think it's interesting. Turn in your Bible to Hosea chapter 3 and verse 2. As Hosea talks about some of the things that were, uh, you know, about to happen. And he talks, describes uh, different things that were taking place. But listen to what he says. He bought her for himself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one half homers of barley. What must you have been thinking if you would have been Gomer? You know, the knock comes to the door. The guy Homer's living with, or Gomer is living with, Homer and Gomer. Man, where did Homer come from? Uh, the, the guy that Gomer is living with, you know, answers the door. Here's Hosea. I want her back. Okay, well think we can arrange that. Give me 15 shekels of silver. Give me some barley. And she's yours. Do you know how demeaning that is? To be bought and sold. That man had no love for her. He was using her. And she was being used by him. I think of, you know, you, you, people run for acceptance to the world. They, they, they don't see the love of God. And so they run to many things in this life to, that promises them love, acceptance, family, um, patience, and long-suffering. All these things are promised. And they, the world can't deliver. If you seek those, those matters of fulfillment apart from Jesus, the world cannot deliver. And it really has no use for you. It will use you up and spit you out. Listen to what, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over to Jude, the book of Jude, and look at uh, verse 12. He was talking about, in, in this particular passage, he was talking about religious people, but they were ungodly religious people. He said, there's spots on your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They're clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Roots, Clouds without water. That, that is a description. You know, when it gets cloudy and gets dark and it starts moving in, what do we expect? Rain. These people are described as clouds without water. What they promise they never deliver on. And that's what the world is. They make promises, grand promises. Oh, you come with me, you follow me, and you'll have this and this and this, and and life will be good for you. It's a lie. The world doesn't love you. It makes great swelling promises, but apart from Christ, there is nothing but being used. He goes on in this Passage, look at verse 16. They're grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. And he says, I just want you to remember what they're doing. Don't be taken in by that. And, and I say the same today. This woman 
had a husband who loved her. She left him for something she apparently thought was better. But it wasn't. She was just an object to be used for this man's desire. He sold her back. There was no attachment, no connection, no love. Yeah, give me 15 shekels of silver and you can have this woman back. I don't care. The world promises many things, boasts many promises. You don't want to live the Christian life. Man, that's so dull, that's so restrictive, that's so boring. Come, do what we do. It's so much better. And you buy into that lie and you find out you're not loved by the world. That prodigal son who went off into that faraway place found out he didn't have any friends. They just used him up. His true friend was his father, his family back home. And the same is true with us today as Christians. This was an odd couple. I, I, I am thankful for Hosea and thankful to Hosea. God, I believe, at least in my estimation, call, called him to do one of the most difficult things that anybody's done in the Bible. Uh, maybe it was hard to stand in front of that giant and uh, Goliath, and maybe some other things were hard to do. But to be told, I want you to go marry a harlot. I want you to have children of harlotry. And when she has left you and cheated and, and caused you to have mistrust and distrust, and, and when you have no confidence in her loyalty and faithfulness, and she abandons you and goes back to that way of life, I want you to go back and get her and bring her back home again. That's hard. But boy, what a picture it paints for us about the love of Christ. How can we ever question whether God loves me or not? I've heard people say, I, I don't know if God loves how, If God loves me, how has this and that happened? Listen, God forevermore settled the question of whether he loves you or not on the cross of Christ. That event is a billboard for all of history announcing God's love for us. Hosea gives us maybe a next best image from the Old Testament. Hosea's service painted a clear picture for me to see. You talk in terms of mathematics, it's hard to follow. Give me an example on the board. I can maybe work my way through it. Hosea gives us the picture on the board. This is what sin looks like to God. And this is what God's love looks like. How can I say no to someone who loves me like he does? If you're here tonight, where do you find yourself? I'll tell you where God is. God loves you. But right now, you may be like Gomer, living in rebellion to God, serving other gods, seeking to find fulfillment and happiness and love in all the wrong places. They're dead ends. They won't bring happiness. The world doesn't love you, but God does. And if you need to come back to Him tonight or need to come to Him and find the love of a Heavenly Father, 
we invite you to do so. If you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, why don't you do that tonight? If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and it's time to appreciate the grace of God and come back humbly saying, I want to be yours and no one else's, he'll take you back. Won't you come as we stand together and sing?